Blog Talk Radio. Divinetic 10-year podcast anniversary.
throughout this podcast, we're going to be featuring music from the essential Pat LaBelle album, courtesy of Sony Music. One of my favorite songs from the album, I've listened to it all month long, getting ready for this show, was written by Peter Allen and Luther Vandross's friend, David Lasley. Here's I Don't Go Shopping, courtesy of Sony Music. Um, so she was 
self-managing in a way that she felt was necessary for her to keep her blood sugars in control. But I would always suggest that anytime you're using anything that it should be discussed with the doctor. There are interactions with medications should you be taking any. And also, even if you are in in a case, a situation similar to hers where you're not seeing a doctor, you still need to test blood sugars because testing tells the true story. You have no idea whether or not uh, the method that you're using is really effective or if it's doing anything for you. It might just be something that you're using and there is no effect whatsoever. So testing the blood sugar is the only way to actually know if your methods are effective or not. Uh, Even with medication, testing is the way to go. You have to share those results with your provider. I'm sorry, that's why I'm so excited that we're giving away a Dario blood glucose meter. Now, you looked at this and reviewed this all-in-one pocket-sized device that could track blood sugar fluctuations and trends and identify hyper and hypoglycemic episodes right from your smartphone. What did you think of it? Like, what do you think of this device? I I was really impressed with it. Um, It was noted for its accuracy. Uh, The design is small and really compact. It's the kind of thing that can be carried around. Uh, Most meters, when people carry them, um, you know, it it is something that can be done, but sometimes it's not without difficulty as, you know, being bulky and carrying, um, occupying space. But this is really small, and it does not have to be charged, which is a plus. It runs directly off the iPhone if if you connected it, connect the two of them to um, get your results, then your iPhone actually charges the meter. And the results, uh, the reviews that I read, there was no, uh, tended not to be any drainage of the iPhone battery by doing this. So I was really, really impressed. And the display is large, so you're looking directly on the iPhone to see what your results are. And the results is quick, in six seconds. I love it. I'm so excited we're going to be giving it away. And later on in this show, my very own mother, Mama Rosemarie, will pick the number to award the lucky winner with the Dario uh, blood glucose meter. I'm sure she didn't realize she was doing that tonight. But she is mom, so turn it, uh, you better put on your sequence dress to announce the winner later on in the show. You know, before I let you go for a minute, Patricia, you're going to come back later on in the show. When Pamela Bell was first diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in 1994, she collapsed on stage in front of thousands of fans. She was rushed to the hospital, and she was revived. An hour later, she was informed she had diabetes. Her blood glucose reading was over 600, and she admitted at the time for being angry about her diagnosis. I think that as crazy or, I don't know, out of this world that story seems, it's a lot more common than people think about people, first of all, getting angry when they're diagnosed with diabetes, but second of all, a lot of people with both type 1 and type 2 being in these very scary health crisis situations when they are initially diagnosed. What are your thoughts on that? 
It is quite common. It's more common than what we would think, even when there is a family history. And some people will tell you that, you know, they felt that eventually somewhere down the line they may be diagnosed, but it's still like a a big surprise when it actually happens. Um, I did uh, an initiative for type 2 diabetes with Angie Stone, and she describes her diagnosis as something that was really traumatic for her. She said that she was on um, a trip with her family. They were going to an amusement park, and she constantly was stopping to use the, the bathroom, and she got to a point where she couldn't even walk to the bathroom, and that's when she knew she was in trouble. She had depleted her electrolytes, and her legs were cramping and could not carry her. So they had to call EMTs, and she was taken uh, for emergency treatment. That's how she was diagnosed. Now knowing that she has several family members who have diabetes, but she says she was first, actually. She said the after she was diagnosed, it was like week after week after week, it seemed like another family member was being diagnosed. I don't know if that's because they were more aware and looking at the symptoms because of what happened to her or if it just happened that way. But, yes, it is traumatic in a lot of instances. People really do not realize that they have diabetes and they don't know what they're looking for, the signs or the symptoms. And when it happens, it just happens all suddenly. Although we do know that type 2 is something that occurs over time. But it's ironic that so many people end up in the emergency room without a clue. I agree. And, you know, um, Pat LaBelle says she realized she had to embrace her diabetes right away and not ignore it. Diabetes uh, didn't scare her because as long as she knew she could control it, it wasn't going to control her. She says that she could live a normal life and plan to live at least six, another 60 years. That was her own, um, that was something I read in a People Magazine article about our world most famous diabetic. And, um, so we're going to move ahead with the show and listen to more great music. This song was written by the Sounds of Blackness frontwoman Ann Nesby and musically composed by the team of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. I remember this song when it first came out. I loved it so much. It was a big hit in the 1990s. Here's When You Talk About Love, courtesy of Sony Music. Back to Diabetes Late Night and our 10-year podcasting anniversary. I'm Mr. Divabetic. You know, all month long we're running the 31 Days of Divabetic podcast on our Divabetic blog at divabetic.org. And I've been going through the vault listening to over 185 shows, like 150, 15,000 listeners have heard. 
And I stumbled upon one of the most popular shows is the one where I take an annual visit to the gynecologist. So I thought it would be great on the 10th anniversary to bring back my gynecologist, but she's actually an osteopathic. I can't even say it because I'm laughing so hard. Dr. Andrea is from Cody, Wyoming. She's an She's an. I can't say it. She's a gynecologist who's affiliated with multiple hospitals, and she's been with us for at least four to five times. She's been practicing for over 20 years. Here's Dr. Uh, let's welcome Dr. Andrea Chisholm. Hello, Dr. Andrea. Hey, Max. I'm so honored and thrilled to be here tonight. I, and I'm all tongue-tied having you on the show. You know, this is a crazy time to go to the doctor. <laughs> yeah. This is a crazy time for women with diabetes as well as men to go to the doctor. But since you're a gynecologist, I want to talk about some of the precautions people should be taking in this uh, new reality we're living in with the coronavirus. What has it been like for you as a doctor to treat patients, and what do you want patients to know about the precautions they should be taking before going to the doctor? Yeah, so, you know, we've we've made some modifications for sure uh, in terms of, uh, I think the biggest one is um, uh, frequency of visits, right? I mean, for, for me and my OBGYN practice, I, you know, think of everybody sort of being at risk, but I think about my, my higher risk populations as we all are, you know, that our elderly patients and then our, and our pregnant patients, um, you know, our a lot of with a lot of the I, I would advise people that you know if, if you have um, if you're older or uh, at you know at increased risk or um, you know have significant comorbidities and you know we know that certainly diabetes is one of them um, I I would if it was possible and probable to do your visits if your physician's offering it uh, via telemedicine if that's possible um, I think going into the healthcare office, I think that you will mostly find that physicians will be, or healthcare providers will be wearing masks. Uh, I know in my office and at my hospital, we are still, we are screening uh, people, both patients and visitors, which visitors are limited, coming into the hospital, both our temperatures and we're requiring people to wear masks. I think that mask wearing is, is you know, is really, is really essential and, important, and important. And in obstetrical practices, you know, coming from our advisory uh, commission in the United States, or ACOG, our College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, there's been, um, you know, recommendations made for how we can safely uh, maybe decrease the number of face-to-face -face visits and utilize technology a bit more to interact. And I think that that's definitely a shift and a change we're going to be seeing um, from healthcare. But masks, masks, masks. I love it. And, you know, because some listeners are new to the show, what are some of the concerns a woman with diabetes should voice to her gynecologist when she's um, visiting for the first time or maybe having a new doctor, uh, you know, deciding to switch doctors? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's you know, certainly important. Uh, we do know that it's pretty common to have um, – Fluctuations and, and and difficulty of control in the um, premenstrual phase, and so if you're really struggling with that, that uh, would be something to mention. Uh, you know, if you're of reproductive age and pregnancy is on the horizon for you, it's a, a great idea to go over. Um, you know, what would be what would be expected preconceptually? What some of the risks potentially could be for pregnancy? Um, are there differences because there are in pregnancy of tightness of control? Um, and in the menopausal transition, you know, it's important to kind of check in there as well because there are there are potentially some. Um, uh, 
issues that can develop more uh, more often in, in women who have diabetes as they get older. And have you seen more yeast infections in women with diabetes? I, I've seen oh, a lot know, of that on Google. Yeah, you know, and sometimes, especially in younger in younger women, um, that that can even it, I have even seen that sort of be a, a presenting a presenting um, symptom. You know, yeast yeast live you know really live off sugar, and if there's more if there's more of that availability and that shift in the in the pH vaginally um, from that. Uh, yeast infections definitely are 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 more common with poor control. And what not would be, what, would be uh, what would be the frequency that you would you know that you might raise a red flag around that? Um, you, I would yes, because yeast infections can be can be you know uh, recurrent and uh, common in in women without diabetes. But you know more than more than five or six yeast infections over the course of a over a course of a year with no other real explanation um, would get me to start to to you know consider. And before that. Before that, I would say probably on the third, start to inquire about any other symptoms that could go along with diabetes. Okay, and then you know the Black Lives Matter movement is happening. We're 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 really uh, spotlighting the racial disparities going on in our justice system as well as our communities at large. But there's also um, some relationship with racial and ethnic disparities when it comes to pregnancy-related deaths. And, you know, uh, this came to my attention regarding Serena Williams. When she gave birth to her daughter, she had a a near-death experience. And I'm wondering if you could just elaborate on this finding that I found out that black American Indian and and Alaska Native women are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. I mean, why is that, and what could we do about it? Yeah, so again, this is something that, you know, again, ACOG or the American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists um, has been, you know, in discourse around for, you know, many years. And actually, um, there's some some, uh, um, information on on the website sort of addressing this. But they, they talk about kind of working this down into, you know, three Three, three major factors that's informing these disparities, you know, both, both personal factors, patient-based factors, health system factors, and, and provider factors. And, you know, um, just like, uh, you know, just like, so, so, so if we, if we, if we take a look at this as, as from the personal level, you know, um, you know, women of color and the other um, uh, uh, native, native uh, peoples that you spoke about, um you know, we have to look at the personal factors and the content. But yes, of course, there's some genetic factors informing things, but we really need to look at this in the in the context of other socioeconomic disparities, right? I mean, we look at um, we look at that the socioeconomic and educational disparities that are associated here along race lines, unfortunately, in this country, because that will inform things like nutritional status and environmental exposures, things that we know can lead to underlying disease that can put someone at an increased risk for um, for a, a, a complication. 
Um, you know, we have to look at the health system. You know, the United States is the only developed country that doesn't look at health care as a right of citizenship, but rather as a, from an economic perspective. And so there's marked disparities in, um, in, in, in health care, in quality of health care, in availability of health care, um, which, again, can uh, um, inform a, a, a patient's state of health. And then, you know, we have to look at provider provider biases too. I mean, we have to we have to acknowledge that and embrace that as a as a as a profession that you know we ourselves have to address our own um, you know potential uh, racial racial uh, um, the word I'm looking for yeah. Uh, interactions that we have oh, in our in our own in our own personal lives. Yeah. How we look at it. So um so I think I mean, it's to hear you saying that because I feel like sometimes people don't you know, uh doctors are people too and we need to hear from the other side of the table as well. It's not just the patients complaining, it's about doctors also voicing right. their opinions and talking about some of these inequalities that are going on. Before I let you go though, I wanna ask you one final thing because the most popular podcast that you were on dealt with PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. I, don't, I, I got it wrong on that show. I listened to it like five times and I get sometimes <laughs> on topics. Um, tell us what this is because I, I can't, this show continues to get uh, hundreds of listens per month uh, that we did on this show and I guess I just want to make sure that people know what it's about and maybe they'll come back and check out that podcast available on iTunes and a blog talk radio that you and I did together with Asher Brown. So what is yeah. premenstrual dysphoric disorder? Yeah, so P- so so PMDD is um is a is a is a is a mood disorder, a reproductive mood disorder, sort of in the same class as postpartum depression and perimenopausal depression. And um In those group of disorders, we know that the changes, the normal changes in uh, women's hormone levels of estrogen and progesterone are neuroactive and they cross the blood-brain barrier and they can interact with certain neurotransmitters in our brain that help maintain our mood and sense of well-being. In premenstrual dysphoria disorder, I manifest by uh, significant mood changes in the second half of the menstrual cycle, so in the luteal phase, so from ovulation until uh, the period comes, those symptoms need to be only limited to that period of time in order to meet this diagnosis. And in that part of your cycle, progesterone levels spike and estrogen levels relatively drop. And for some of us, Um, we are very, very, very sensitive to those changes in a way that we see significant mood changes that, that come and come and go as if a light switch is being turned on. And it's, um, extraordinarily disruptive and extraordinarily scary if you're having that happen to you and you're not understanding and you feel like you're becoming a different person like clockwork every month. And it can be extremely disruptive. And I would highly encourage anyone who is experiencing those symptoms to seek out um, a, a, a great source is that I, I, I think I mentioned on that podcast too is um, an organization now called uh, uh, IAPMD, uh, which is the International Association for uh, Premenstrual uh, Disorders. And that's a IAPMD.org. And that's a great resource. Or my podcast, of course. <laughs> Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining the show tonight and being part of our 10-year anniversary. I love going to see 
a gynecologist at least once a year. <laughs> so Thanks, thank you, Max. Dr. All right, good luck for the rest of the show. All right, thank you. Well, positive okay. inspiration, Pamela Bell used her passion for cooking to get her diet back on track after being diagnosed with uh, type 2 diabetes. She told People Magazine that cooking for herself is why she's still alive today because she's able to manage what she puts in her mouth and avoid all the things that aren't good for people with diabetes. She's written three cookbooks. The first one she said was what the one that could put you in the hospital. The second cookbook featured recipes that could save your life. And in her latest cookbook, Desserts Labelle, Soulful Sweets to Sing About, she modified some of her signature recipes for her fellow diabetics using sugar substitutes and cutting down on butter. Another reason why we say it's all right with me. That's right. This song, it's all right for me. Oh no, this song was from her. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all right for me was her third album, and that's where this song comes from. This is music is a my way of life, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Welcome back to Diabetes Lead. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. We're celebrating 10 years of diabetes podcasting tonight. And later on the show, Mama Rosemary is going to announce the winner of our Dario Glucose Monitor Starter Kit. But right now, music is a way of life for the CEO of Fandross. Her name is Savita Williams. She's actually the first person who ever heard the word Diva Bedick. Welcome, Savita, to the show. Hi, Savita. Hi, Max. Hi, everybody. All right, so uh, I'm so glad you could join us tonight. Everyone, I think, wants to know, do you have any kind of connection to Luther Vandross? I'm a little one. Um, I'm Luther's niece. I'm one of, Luther, one of the, the nine of us. So I'm his niece. I'm the CEO, as you mentioned, and founder of Vandross with an F, um, where our whole purpose is to celebrate and continue the musical legacy of Luther Vandross. We're finding a new way to do that in today's world because we used to do it through uh, events and at venues, but Vandross will be a- around for a wee bit longer, so keep an eye and ear and out for it. And rumor has it that one fabulous woman, uh, inspired Luther to sing, who lived in his household. It was his older sister, and apparently she was in a group. So tell us a little bit about this woman who inspired Luther Vandross to become a singer. Well, her name was Pat, and she was my mother. (laughs) And she sang with a group called The Crest. Uh, They made that cute little song, Sixteen Candles. Um, she was an amazing singer, and and I really wish her career could have gone on, but she was a girl and a young one, and my grandmother didn't feel uh, safe having her in the club, so she got saddled with, you know, getting a job and then getting married and having kids, but her her baby brother was amazing, and she encouraged him to sing and follow his dreams, and he did, and when he started going into the studio and making albums, she was on singing background for him. So 
that was fun. And what was he like as an uncle? I mean, everyone thinks of him as a superstar, but just tell us one story about your, I think you called him Uncle Ronnie because his middle name was Ronzoni. I know Luther fans would know that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I didn't get the celebrity part so much. Um, Everybody else did, of course. You know, when we were, you have to remember, I kind of grew up with him. So I just got that basic uncle feeling. You know, Uncle Ronnie's coming over on a Saturday. You're a little kid, and he's going to take us all, all the nieces and nephews to the movies, and we're getting popcorn and milk duds and having a good time with him like that and to be truthful I always saw him just like that um he was very fun always had some place for us to go and things for us to do he kept us together and laughing he he had a great sense of humor um as I got older uh I used to stay with him on the weekend so I got to go into the studios and learn quite a bit from him but even though I was in the studios with him I did not feel this celebrity thing happen because once again, I mean, he's in there singing, but on the way out, he's taking me to McDonald's. So he 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 was just a, a good man on the outside. I mean, it was when we had dinner at home, it was still, you know, he could afford much better, but it was still going to be, you know, Kool-Aid, collard greens, cornbread, the good stuff, you know. That was always fun. I, it sounds like something out of Pat LaBelle's cookbook. All right, so now <laughs> we want to talk about Pat LaBelle, Savita. All right, so, so you heard me at the top of the show talking about I went to the tribute concert. You were there, too, the tribute concert for Luther Vandross at, I believe it was the Paramount Theater in New York City. She was up on stage. I, I thought of the word divabetic. I came home. I wrote it on a sheet of paper with black marker. I wrote out the word diabetic, and then with a red marker, I put a V in between the I and the A and made it divabetic. And then the next day I came, I saw, I saw you and I said, I, I remember well, tell everyone how you remember this story when I, okay. when I showed you this work. Now I remember us driving back from where we had met up. I remember us driving back and you were telling me um, about your thoughts because of what had happened to my uncle and, and how you, you thought it needed to stand for something and how you wanted to move forward with it. And you told me about Patty LaBelle and you told me, and, and, and you kind of even phrased it where the V was for Vandross as well as Diva. And then you said, Diva Betty. And I went, I love it. <laughs> I think I did it just like that too and swerved the car a little bit. But I did, and still to this day, love it. That is a perfect name because I think when you said it, it empowered, and I didn't know probably know that word empowered at the time. It wasn't as widely used. But I do know that I felt that it was joyous. And it took off that humdrum, deep, I'm doomed feeling of the word diabetes and it was now divabetic, which meant, as you explained it, we can own it. We can take over it. And you also, I don't know if you remember this, you came up with your first slogan, which was, 
sugar's the bitch, not me. <laughs> so I howled again, and I knew you had something, and I wanted to be a part of it right away, right away. And still, I love your day- version of the story. I, I, I feel like we could end the podcast right now because that really is a, the beginning of it, and I have to tell everyone, you know, it's so scary when you come up with something and you want to show it to someone, and I think that person has the ultimate power to tell you yes or no. And sometimes I think, Savita, like when I look back on it 17 years, like you could have said no, and maybe I would have just taken that piece of paper and crumpled it up and let it go. And, and instead you did, you had the same reaction you had tonight, and I just can't believe what a journey I've been on the last 17 years. So I just have to tell you how much how grateful I am to you for giving me that support so early on and, um, you know, helping me see that I can do this. My pleasure. Because just from that moment, you also took and ran with DivaBetic, and so many amazing things have happened because of DivaBetic. I'm glad that, that, well, you came up with a great pen name. Let's be honest there. And I'm glad it moved my heart because I am so happy for you and what you've accomplished over the last 17 years. You've changed many lives. Listen, even like I'm a type 2 diabetic who, I'll be honest, in the earlier years when I first found out, I didn't pay it as much attention. So Divabetic coming along, and even though I was starting at the ground with you, I may not have completely changed, but now I was beginning to get the knowledge, and I was starting to feel more comfortable. And as Diva Better grew, so did my knowledge and my self-confidence, and I started to really take much better care of myself because of Diva Better. And because of Diva Better, I'm, you know, here today myself. I will say that. I really listened to you about putting together a team that you need a health care team, and I got myself a team. And I hope you remember you were also doing little meetings in a YMCA once or twice a week. So you've been there helping, giving to the community, making it bearable and more fun and, and, and light. And I feel that people, when we don't feel like we're doomed, we feel like we have the power to succeed, and that's what Diva Betic gave and still is given. And really, don't forget, pass the boa. You know, <laughs> the time where you, you pass the boa and tell our truth in a safe, comfortable, free environment, that meant everything to all of us sitting in those rooms to be able to share all of our fears about something we were going through together and having the, the unity of everybody going, I know what you're talking about, and you can make it. And sharing all of their solutions and telling their fears, Max, you, it's incredible. You, you, Diva Medic is just going to go on and on. And, you know, thank you for caring enough in the very beginning to even want to do anything. So thank you. No, that that was incredible, and, you know, I, I get uncomfortable with all the compliments, so I just have to say, Savita, thank you so much for joining us and being a part of the journey from the very beginning, and now I know you enjoy this next guest coming up, because it's my very own mother who was there at the beginning. Well, please welcome to the show, 
Mama Rosemarie. Hi, Mom. How are you today? Oh, oh I'm fine. How are you all doing? Um, Savita, that was great wonderful. Tonight, you know? Nice memory. Great. Uh, great. I'm so pleased. Thank quick, you for having me on. Uh, we're taking a quick flashback, and then we're moving forward and meeting some more guests and talking more about uh, Tylebel. But first, you and Savita are just helping me go down memory lane. And a lot of people don't know that you and my father were involved there at the very beginning with Divabetic. In fact, as I recall, you were there when I sold one of my very first T-shirts. What was that like? Yes, we uh, both of us were there, and we were so happy to help you out. We went to one. My daughter-in-law had a uh, uh, she's um, a pediatric endocrinologist, and she had a Diva um, Diabetic University, which was a program uh, helping people with uh, living with diabetes. So she asked us to to uh, come and, and um, see if we could sell our T-shirts there. And sure enough, we went there, and people were so thrilled to have their T-shirt with a diva on it, and they felt so good about it. And then from there, I think that was her first show, and then from there we went to Myrtle Beach, and she had another program, the, G- the Diabetes University, and we sold many more shirts there. So it was very, that was the start of our selling your Divabetic uh, T-shirts. It was really nice, and we had fun setting up and, and putting them on hangers and hanging them up, I think, on one of my, um, I, uh, what are those trifold calls, you know, the like um, a room divider? And uh, it was yeah. a fancy one, and we had the hangers on there showing the T-shirts, and people came up and just love them and um, and start purchasing them. And from there on, we have we even had um, a bust. The next couple of shows, we got ourselves the bust and had the T-shirt formed on our table and so forth. And then we had many more T-shirts with different sayings on them. And one of them was the one that um, Savita just mentioned. I remember that one. Sugar is a bitch, not that, not the diabetes. So um, anyhow, uh, we just, um, uh, Dad and I just really appreciated being there with you and being part of your um, experience helping other people. And I just can't believe how many people we have inspired during our uh, 17 years and, and uh, 10 years on your podcast. It's I, I think you've done a great job. And I know you don't like compliments, but I um I am a very proud mother. Let's put it that way. Okay. okay. Um. So uh, uh, my experience with that has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Too emotional, but you know. Um, yes. I didn't want to go there tonight, but you know. You and Dad are so creative. When people say I'm creative, it's because of my parents. You know, you're getting behind me on so many shows. And just that fact, like you said, the trifold, when I wanted to sell those T-shirts, my parents, everybody showed up with, like, this whole stage for me to sell T-shirts. And when people think back to the big shows and everything we did, it's just really an extension of you and Dad. And I'm just so honored. And, you know, Mom, on the – Mystery podcast, we put you in all kinds of crazy situations, which you thankfully go along with. But 
sometimes we've had real-life crazy situations. So before I let you go, I just wanted to flash back to Memphis, Tennessee, when you and I had to do a morning TV show, and I wanted to know what that experience was like. Well, it was probably an experience of my lifetime. Uh, anyhow, you said we're going to be on a morning TV show, and we're going to to um, proud of your our proud of your pineapple is the name of our um, a way of of having people who are living with diabetes eat more fruit, and we showed them how to display the fruit. So we thought, oh, okay. I thought nothing of it. We'd go on this TV show, and so we went into this mall where the morning program was being filmed and we set up our table and we were cutting up pineapples and we were uh, trimming cantaloupe and having it all really uh, very well displayed and we start talking about how to do it and so forth and what good fruit is for people living with diabetes. Well, right next to us was this um, uh, singing group. And, you know, they were um, really good and so forth, and they were going to be on right after we our focus. They were going to focus on this singing group. Well, one of the gentlemen came over and said, can I have some of that fruit? And I said, of course. He says, you know, we're roadies and we're hungry and so forth. And, and can I have some of that? And we said, of course. So after the program, which was very uh, successful, I think, because then we went to the hotel, and these people were a singing group. They were very popular, and there was a line around the hotel waiting to get their autographs. And I was laughing to myself because I had no idea who they were because I'm an old lady. So I wasn't into that new stuff. But anyhow, it was really funny. But then we went on to the program, and all these people kept coming up to me telling me, oh, I saw you on TV cutting up fruit. And I was, I, I, I don't know what to say how um, I felt about that, but for one moment, I guess I felt like a star. And thank you for making me feel like that. And, and pe- it was just well, a, a to privilege be, to be there. I got, to, <laughs> I got to be the son of a star, which I love. You know, um, <laughs> thanks, Mom, for sharing those memories. And I just want to um, let everyone know that it is an honor to celebrate 10 years of podcasting, and unfortunately, some of the members of the Divabetic family can't be with us tonight. So I just wanted to uh, honor them and pay tribute to two really amazing men, my father, Stan Zadig, and photographer, Winston Kerr. I remember both of them as kind, funny, and thoughtful men who went out of their way to help so many people living with, at risk, and affected with diabetes and help us create this legacy called Divabetic. So my favorite movie is Wizard of Oz, and uh, Paddle Bell does an amazing version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, which is my tribute to my father and to my friend Winston Kerr. Enjoy.
journey for me as Eva Bedick, and now I'm taking a break from memory lane to talk more about our Diva inspiration, Patti LaBelle, and the dietary changes she made to make sure that her blood glucose levels are in tighter management. She's written cookbooks, like I said. She's got a line of Patty's Good Life sauces, and she even has a collection of pies. So my next guest is award-winning nutrition, health, and diabetes expert. She's also the American Diabetes, I mean, I'm sorry, the American Association of Diabetes Educators 2015 Educator of the Year. Please welcome Susan Weiner. Hi, Susan. Hi, Max. I'm so excited to be here tonight and drawing some of my tears from after you just spoke to your mom, who's also one of my favorites on your podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us tonight. You know, this is, uh, a lot of people said to me, how could you celebrate Pat LaBelle? She has a line of pies, and so many people would uh, like to judge people harshly with diabetes because they're eating pie. I wanted to find out from you, because I think you're the authority on nutrition. Uh, can people with diabetes eat pies? And if so, what are the tips that you could share regarding that? And if they can't, can you tell us why they can't? Of course. So, Max, we have discussed this for many, many years, and I know that we're going to talk about some of our memories as well. We eat for so many different reasons, and diabetes doesn't define a person. It is a part of who they are, but they don't, it doesn't define someone. So people may choose to eat pie occasionally, because they love it, it's part of their culture, it's part of their heritage, it's part of how they grow up, or their childhood memories. And when Miss Patty LaBelle did her recipes and then modified them in a, in a other cookbook, she was celebrating her childhood memories. Food is about not only preparing it and sharing it and loving on it and eating it, but also savoring the flavor of what you're cooking. So my advice on eating a pie is it's certainly not for everyone and not for everyone who has diabetes. And many people who have diabetes opt to in their decision-making and in their collaboration with their health care provider, their health care professional, if they can work with a diabetes educator, um, a diabetes care and education specialist, a physician, a registered dietitian, people with their team, to make that decision. Many people decide to really go on a very low carbohydrate diet, and that's what works for them. Others may include for a special occasion or because they decide to have it and count for a piece of pie and to celebrate it and to savor it and to really enjoy it. So my best tip is do you. Do what's best for you. Celebrate yourself, your culture, your heritage, your background. And if you decide that, that you don't want to eat pie, don't eat pie. But don't judge someone for it. And one of the things that I love about the history of Divabetic is let me tell you something, Max. Divabetic and you in particular were way ahead of the language matters movement. We see now all over social media when it comes to either diabetes or obesity, um, a lot of other comorbid conditions that may be associated with, that language matters is so important. When you thought of and when you put that V in, the word, and made the word divabetic and with the inspiration from Miss Patty LaBelle, 
that changed the way that so many people thought about their diabetes and what they can do about their diabetes and letting them be them and celebrate them. There is no one size fits all. I do believe that that is um, up to the person. And again, to talk to their healthcare professional and to make some informed decisions, but to look at it as being either um, do it or don't do it is a little bit harsh. Everybody has to decide what's best for them. And, you know, um, thank you for saying that, Susan. And, you know, I, I uh, was re- recently walking down memory lane because I saw a post by you. You and I met on D-Life. You were doing a segment with your friend Leslie Josell about organizing your diabetes, and I saw recently that you're working with Healthline, I think it is, on an app, and you were talking also about organizing your diabetes. Tell us a little bit about why organizing your diabetes would be important, and then just tell us a little bit about the app you're working on that kind of puts all this great advice in my pocket as well as the community. Oh, of of course. So um, way back when in um, 2013, Leslie Josell, and Leslie's a world-famous professional organizer and, and does a lot of work with students and planning, and um, she has a fantastic academic planner and, and such, and actually um, has written a lot of books on this. But I was watching her one day. She said, turn on the TV, and this is where I got the inspiration for the book and then the theme of diabetes organizing. She was the professional organizer on the show Hoarders or Hoarding Buried Alive, and I, I watched her, and I thought, if Leslie can do this for people who have severe hoarding issues, how about helping people with diabetes help manage their daily lives? Because diabetes can be so overwhelming. And when you get a diagnosis of diabetes, you think, oh, my goodness, I may be organized or just holding my head above water in my regular life now that I'm adding on eating and exercising and medication management and paperwork and doctor's appointments and healthcare professional appointments. How do I do all of it? So we wrote our first book together, The Complete Diabetes Organizer, Your Guide to a More Organized uh, Diabetes Life. It just spurred on um, a lot of other work that I've done since then and talks that I've done since then and um, inspired me to help so many people get organized with their diabetes. And as a matter of fact, when I was Diabetes Educator of the Year, I spoke in many different states throughout the country to professional groups. It was a a lot of professional groups exactly on this topic. And at D-Life, before we even met at that particular shoot as a contributing medical producer, and before the book even came out, I would help to organize um, almost everything on the show. So I think it came kind of naturally to me to do that. I love it. Well, I love having you be a part of our 10-year celebration. So thank you so much for joining us, Susan. And you know, you just mentioned... You just mentioned overwhelm, so I want to bring in our licensed, trying to get myself together here, our licensed psychologist, certified diabetes care and education specialist, author, and speaker, 
She specializes in treating emotional issues for people with type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Please welcome my friend and colleague, Dr. Beverly Adler. Hi, Dr. Bev. Well, hello, Max, and congratulations. Thank you. And you texted me early this morning, and I appreciated that text so much. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I was the first of the day. You were you were the first. I was already <laughs> blogging when you when you texted me, so you you got me at a good moment when I was just kind of finishing <laughs> up the thirty one days of podcast. You know, I haven't even gotten to my favorite part, which is this five part series that you and I did on the emotional side of living with diabetes. And you know, Susan just mentioned the overwhelm, and like I said at the top of the show, Pato Bell was really angry when she was first diagnosed. That is pretty common, isn't it, in both people with type 1 and type 2 diabetes? It is common, I'm going to say. There's, there's um, uh, uh, stages that um, you and I talked about um, many times on your program that I took from the um, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who talked about the stages of um, uh, after somebody dies and uh, what stages they go through. And I I applied those stages to the stages of um, emotional adjustment to diabetes. And they they don't all have to be in any special order. Many people who are initially diagnosed are in denial. They just can't believe that this happened to them. They don't want to um, acknowledge it. They don't want to... Um, make any modifications in their life. They're just living like uh, an ostrich with their head in the sand. And um, anger is also a very common um, reaction. People are like, why me? This is so unfair. Um, they, they have all these very negative thoughts. It's, it's the thoughts that are making them angry and not the diabetes per se. Okay, and um, it's our goal, okay, is to help people to come to a point of acceptance of their diabetes. But, yes, you can start out very angry, and um, the, the problem, one of the problems about being angry at diabetes is that you have stress hormones in your body. And having anger releases these stress hormones. And what do the stress hormones do? They make your blood sugars go up. And so here it is, you're angry and your blood sugars are getting even harder to control. So it would be very better, it would be better to direct actions toward managing the diabetes rather than being angry at it. Wow. And now I want to know, yeah. uh, I mean, I think I just appreciate you so much for just telling people that if they're feeling that they're not alone, that it's more common than they think, and that seeing someone like you could really be the game changer for them in just learning how to accept it, move through it like Savita said, and come to a better place with managing your diabetes. Now I want to turn the tables on you because you're living with type 1 diabetes and you were – uh, you just recovered from COVID. So what was that experience yep. like for you, and what was going on emotionally? Well, okay. So I was 
I heard all the news. <laughs> you know, this was in March, and the virus was just uh, accelerating in its uh, infection in New York, and I was terrified of uh, of you know contracting the virus, and because I was afraid I was going to die because they all they talked about was. You know, if you have a chronic illness like diabetes, you know, your risk factors go up because your immunity is lower. And um, I have lived with diabetes successfully for 45 years. And uh, so, you know, I listened to the news and just uh, the day that I uh, ended up starting my uh, experience with COVID-19 was um, the first day that I started doing phone sessions from my home. Up until that point, I was in the office. I have a private practice, and uh, I specialize with uh, patients with diabetes. And that, it was a Thursday. I was home. I had done my sessions, but I felt terrible. I felt really sick. And I uh, had a fever, a low-grade fever. And uh, I lost my appetite. I was feeling very weak. I was feeling very tired. I was feeling very achy. And I said to myself, you have the flu. And that's what I was telling people. I have the flu. At least I don't have COVID-19. Even though I had had the flu, you know, vaccine. And, uh, but that was my uneducated guests. And after a number of days of struggling with this flu, I did speak to my doctor via telehealth. And um, and I told her I had the flu. And she said to me, what are your symptoms? And I told her, and to my shock, she said to me, you don't have the flu. You have COVID-19. And I, <laughs> my thoughts were that I would die. I was just terrified. And um, I live alone, except for my two dogs. And it was a struggle, uh, you know, to be by myself. I had this fever for two weeks and um, so weak, so tired, so, um, you know, achy. My daughter, who lives in Brooklyn, was like, I'm coming home, Mom, I'm going to take care of you. And I absolutely refused because I did not want to expose her. And she was very helpful uh, from Brooklyn. She was able to go online for me, things I never had done before. She ordered me groceries. She was able to order items from the pharmacy. She was very, very helpful. And uh, for that, I really appreciated her help. The doctor had said to me, um, make sure you stay hydrated and find products with electrolytes. And and she suggested it could have been like um, Gatorade. But what I what my daughter found for me on Amazon was these flavor packets for the water that are um, I guess infused with electrolytes. And uh, it comes in all different flavors. My daughter ordered it for me. And to this day, I absolutely love these products. They taste delicious. And I guess they're helping. 
and uh, you know, um, I'm going to say part of uh, a six-day uh, plan for people with diabetes. One of the things you have to do is check your blood sugar frequently, which is what I did. And even though I was not eating because I had no appetite, my sugars were high, <laughs> and I was not surprised because. I know that when your body is fighting, you know, a virus, it's, um, it's, again, it stresses. And what it does is it makes the, makes the body more insulin resistant, which means you need more insulin, which is counterintuitive. When you are not eating and you're taking more insulin, that does not sound smart. But when you're sick, that's exactly the right thing to do. And that's what I did. So, um, yeah, we're gonna, you know, I want to have you come, Dr. Brad, I want to have you come back on because we've got a couple other women living with di- uh, diabetes who have COVID too and do a whole special on it because I think it is really interesting to hear more about how you did it. And actually, that was the first time, you know, I've switched the tables on you and just talked about how you were <laughs> instead of asking for your advice. And I, I'm so grateful you're doing so well. I'm, and I'm so glad I you could be a part of the show. I did not have any of the respiratory distress that you hear a lot about. You know, I was I, I did not have breathing difficulties. I did not have to go to the hospital. And um, the thing about COVID-19 that makes it very difficult is that it can attack different organ systems in the body. In my case, it did not attack my respiratory system, but in my case, it did attack my endocrine system, and it did make it that much harder for me managing my blood sugars. Wow. Well, again, I'm so grateful you're doing well. I'm glad you could join us. I'm looking forward to working with you on future podcasts, and thank you for being a part of tonight's show. And And thank you for including me. Always. Thank you. I couldn't wait to have you back on the show. And, you know, I can't wait to have my next guest on the show, but I have a hint as to what my next guest does for a living. Pedal Bell wrote a memoir entitled Don't Block the Blessing in her early 50s. She writes about her terrible shyness as a child and the violent end of her parents' relationship when she was a teenager and then her eventual rise to the heights of stardom. Well, I've never risen to the heights of stardom, but I have had my – uh, a touch of fame, and I have to say that uh, my next guest just brings me so much joy every year when she participates on her annual mystery podcast. But I have a certain song I want to dedicate to her tonight because I think so highly of her. Here's I Think About You, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen to Pella Bell, Singer Brazen. <laughs>
Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Medic. And hey, we did not forget about the giveaway. I had that ugly cry for a minute with my mother. But Mama Rose is going to come back at the end of the show and pick our random winner of the Dario Blood Glucose Meter with Patricia Addy Gentle. Right now, though, I think about this person all the time. My next guest is the best known for her stories, charged with Southern charm, emotion, and humor, filled with flawed characters. Her novels have garnered readers, readers' praise and glowing critical reviews. But to our diva-betic audience who tunes in every year to our mystery podcast, she's my wisecrack and best friend who's as quick at solving murders as she is at pointing out my character flaws, which she says there are too many to, to remember. Please welcome to the show best-selling author Tanya Kappas. Hi, Tanya. Woo-hoo! Congratulations, <laughs> years. And I've only known you for five, but they have been the best five and memorable years. I am so grateful that you walked up to me that day in New York City and said you had this crazy idea, and if you could just call me. I'm like, absolutely. That was the best day of my career was meeting you, and I have had so much joy over the past five years getting to know all these amazing people that you're surrounded by. And, my gosh, I agree with Vita about um, you that I have learned so much about diabetes in the last five years um, than I even understood before since my dad has been a type 2 diabetic for 10 years. And his doctor never educated me like you guys have educated me through the mystery theater and incorporating all your knowledge and helping um, teach this through creativity and such loving hands. And then your beautiful mother, my gosh, they made me cry. You have, you are so surrounded in light, Max. You are a blessing and continue on. Cheers to another 10 great years. I hope so, and I hope you'll be there with us uh, for those next 10 years, too. I could say the same thing about you, Tanya. You're you just you gave me so much um, enthusiasm. It's like Savita. When I came to you with that idea, you could have easily said no, and instead, you know, you changed. Uh, you said yes, and that was such a game changer. It's brought so much joy into my life to do these mystery podcasts with you and my mom and Savita and Catherine and Lisa and everyone who participates on the show every year with the rehearsals and everything we do. So so looking forward to our trip to Nantucket. Now, one of the things about the <laughs> podcast, if it was turned into the mystery podcast that I love, was really this idea that I talked to Patricia about at the beginning of the show, where sometimes people look at certain things that happen in their diabetes life and they assign judgment. And you've really helped me kind of turn that into, like, be a detective about your diabetes and start to investigate what these things are, and go a little bit further to do some problem solving. And since you are a best-selling author, I was wondering if you could tell us some of the characteristics that you think about a, a good detective should have. Well, I'll, I'm a cozy mystery author. So I am one of those where there's no blood, guts, or gorge. It's a good mystery, kind of like your Agatha Christie, you know, your Murder, She Wrote type of um, stories. So, of course, in all of my books, and I think also – when you are sniffing out diabetes um, and all the knowledge that you need to be a good detective, get all of the answers, I think you have to be nosy and you have to be pushy to get the answers. So all of my characters are pretty nosy and they, um, you know, they're nosy, but I have that Southern touch where they uh, get everything they want by using kindness and a little bit more honey than vinegar. 
and kind of get people talking. And I think that you just have to keep your nose to the grind as a sleuth if you've got a reason and one good reason in all the mystery podcasts um, are not only to solve the crime but also learn about because obviously in all of the podcast mysteries that, that you've done and written, um, the, the, the killer or the actual murdered victim has something to do with diabetes. Um, and so as the characters progress not only a book but in the theater that you produce, we have to figure out what are the characteristics, what are the medicines that they're on, you know, did that interact with causing the killer to kill someone or did that interact with the, the, the victim actually dying from diabetes of complications. But you have to really sleuth out all of the situation, cannot leave any stone unturned, meaning that um, do they have an insulin overdose or what caused an insulin overdose or what can you bring them out of that. Um, different various things like that. But a good sleuth never, ever, ever stops being nosy and looking for the right answer. And sometimes I think you got to do that. I love that. That's the perfect thing to take to your doctor and show them those nosy notes you're taking about yourself or a loved one with diabetes and find out the answers. Now, you know, I have been locked away in New York City and I'm reading. And, you know, I'm my Kindle, I Need a New Book, and I heard that my favorite author, Tony Cappies, has a new book out called All She Wrote. So tell us a little bit about that book. I want yes. to start reading it. Oh, my gosh. So that is the third book in a new series that I'm writing called the Mail Carrier Cozy Mystery Series. And she is, and I'm going to tell you, a little bit based on some of the things that I've learned through you and the podcast. So she is an older sleuth because most of the times you see in Cozy Mystery books, you know, the younger sleuth or like you the Hallmark Mystery movies, the younger sleuth, you know, a young baker, you know, a young garage seller or whatever. And um, so this sleuth, she is a 50-year-old. She's an older sleuth. So when I first started writing her, I can relate to her because I am also of her age. And I thought, gosh, you know, there's a lot of things that go on at 50. You know, women's body changes. Diabetes, type 2 diabetes can show up, cholesterol, high blood pressure, various things can happen. And um, I decided that I was going to write a sleuth with some real-world issues, not just finding dead bodies on our mail route, but also real-world issues because I feel like that's a good subplot to tackle. And so in this series, I did do that. And she is a widow, and she is trying to get back into the dating pool. And she does have some underlying health issues that she's been working on with diet and exercise. And I won't give all those away because it's always fun to figure this out as we go along. And then she also has an older son, a son that's married, has her first grandchild, um, and so in All She Wrote, it's a, he's a, a teacher at the local school, and in All She Wrote, one of the local teachers um, is uh, kind of hitting on my sleuth, Bernadette's son. But Bernadette's saying, oh, gosh, is this my hormones raging? Or is it because, you know, he's just had a baby? Or, you know, this, that, and the other. And then when the teacher becomes a murder suspect in the sense of, you know, we got to help her. You know, the, my sleuth is kind of sitting in a hard place, you know, in a, between a rock and a hard place. And so through going to various doctors for the subplot and figuring out kind of what's wrong with her and being nosy because this teacher also, that's the suspect, goes to the doctor. And so as Bernadette's kind of being nosy about the teacher, she obviously does figure out the crime at the end. But this whole series is kind of based around the 50-year-old's 
sleuth with real world, you know, issues, not just a happy go lucky. Everything's going to be rosy after we solve the crime. They're going to be an issue, a medical issue throughout the whole series that's played out. So, yeah. I just I want to end the podcast right now because I can't believe <laughs> that we somehow inspired you. I have to read this you book. Did. I'm going to be well, posting it across time. all of the pathetic social media tomorrow. It's all she wrote. I, I'll read between the lines and I'll insert my name right next to Bernadette on everything. You sure wow. can. You, you sure can. But that's what Tanya, happened is that when you made up, huh? I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, when you, if you need any recipes, Please let me know because you know I do have a lavender cheesecake <laughs> yes. that is popular. <laughs> oh yes, I could use all the cheesecakes, all the recipes you've got with your name attached to every single one of them. Oh, I'm going to make quinoa brownies uh, this year, I think. Unfortunately, oh my gosh! Well, thank you for joining the show, and we'll be blogging about all she wrote for everyone to read. And thank you again, Tanya. Oh, you made, well, you're you so made kind, Max, and so thank magical. you. Thank you for bringing me along the journey. It has been my pleasure, and, and just a bit, just something I look forward to and my readers look forward to every year. It's amazing. And thank you for all the things that you do for this community. It is truly a special gift and your purpose in life, and you bring it 110%. And I adore you. Well, I adore you, so thank you so much for that. All right, we're going to take another roll down down memory lane and go to Pittsburgh and talk to Terry Simon, who we had the pleasure of working with, I think, for like seven or eight solid years at the Expo there. So welcome to the show, Terry Simon. Hi, Terry. Hi, Mac. Congratulations. This This is awesome. No, and and I'm so glad you could be part of it. It's like, you know, this moment in time when everything slows down, I had a minute to pause and celebrate this milestone, and I'm so glad you and all my guests could be on the show tonight. Uh, You know, people think of me for the podcast now and don't really think about all the live programming we did, but you and I did a series of bigger and bigger shows every (laughs) year in Pittsburgh, and one of the shows that comes to my mind is the Diabetes Time Machine, which really referenced how far diabetes self-care, the therapies and technologies have come since the discovery of insulin in 1921, I believe. And I know that this is close to home to you. So tell us a little bit about your journey with type 1 and also your family's journey with type 1 through the generation. Um, My father was diagnosed in 1937, at the age of 13, and of course, insulin had only been around for about 13, 14 years, and never in his wildest dreams did he ever think that he would live as long as he did. Um, uh, Both my sister and myself uh, have type 1 diabetes, and my sister was diagnosed when she was 8, and we are 13 months apart, and I was diagnosed when I was 13. So my mother really had her hands full with three of us, and back in the 60s, it was a diabetes was a totally different um, disease than it is today. And and in terms of management and technology and the science, um, in terms of being able to live with it in a healthy way, and not being uh, and not. saying you can't do it because um, of the diabetes. So te- with technology, I have seen the changes 
where, you know, we started off with having to boil syringes, glass syringes, um, in, a, in a boiler before using it. And then on uh, getting plastic needles, which were throwaways, needles that were throwaways where my father used the needle over and over and over again, which I can't even begin to imagine. Um, it's things like that, you know, uh, that we've come so far. And, uh, uh, and uh, five months ago, um, my 29-year-old daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And uh, this, has, this has been difficult for me. Um, uh, yeah, I'm pretty fearless, as Max could tell you. And uh, this kind of, uh, she is doing great, by the way. She's already on a pump. And uh, she's headed to L.A. for a new job, and she really is all that and then some. But uh, as you can see, it is definitely in my family. And how do you how 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 did you react to her initial diagnosis, and how they handled it compared to your initial diagnosis at thirteen? <laughs> um, I was in the hospital for a week. They taught us how to give shots in oranges, um, and we were told what we could no longer eat, and we had to be up at a certain hour to take our insulin, which only lasted, um, which we only had one shot a day, um, and uh, uh, and that was basically it. Um, my daughter um, was um, not even hospitalized. She uh, went in the emergency room um, because she knew a lot about diabetes, having lived with me forever. Um, they were able to um, figure out her, the ratio and put her, put her on uh, the insulin ratio and put her on a pen and basically sent her home. I mean, and when I went with her to see her endocrinologist for the first time, I sat there thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, this is unbelievable. You know, having the pump um, or, or having the continuous uh, glucose monitor that the doctor insisted upon her having right away uh, so that they would know where her blood sugar was all the time and she would know. And so she wouldn't have to be afraid of what happens if she, are, she knew when that was coming. And um, it was like watching um, – uh, you know, in time, the difference between diagnosis 50 years ago and diagnosis today. So there's a much, you know, and a doctor has said to her, um, you will rule your, you will manage your diabetes. The diabetes will not manage you. And so much to the point that my daughter had been training for the LA marathon. And a month later, she went to the LA marathon and she completed it. So that never would have happened 50 years ago. That's incredible, and I want to bring you back for another show when we could talk about generations of diabetes. And specifically, I think a lot of people think of uh, more family being type 2 diabetes and not this idea of the hereditary uh, component for type 1 diabetes. So, Terry Simon, I just have to say you're another woman in my life who, when I came to with an idea, always said yes, 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 <laughs> and I think that really put me on the path I am today. And I can't thank you enough or express my gratitude enough for all the encouragement you've ever given me and being a part 
of our DivaBetic family mean so much. So thanks for joining uh, this anniversary podcast tonight. Coming up, my Mama Rosemarie is going to announce the winner of the Dario Glucose Monitor Starter Kick. But first, we're going to meet Luther. And before we do that, I've got one more song by Pat LaBelle. It's All Right by, it's all right With Me, which is what I'd like to say to Luther McRae, Aramis McRae right now. He's the uh, CEO and curator of Facebook group, Fans of Unsung. But first, let's hear some Pat LaBelle, courtesy of Sony Music. And it's all it's 
it's always a constant struggle for me because I know that I can't um, have the food. We know we, we know what we're supposed to do, you know, but it's just I don't know if it's a mental thing or or what, but, I mean, it, it shouldn't be a struggle, but it is a constant struggle <laughs> eating right for me. I think it's important to be able to say that openly, you know, because there's great educators out there like Susan Wiener for nutrition and great um, and people like uh, Patricia Adi-Gentle, who is at the top of the show, and, of course, Dr. Bev, who's there to talk about it. I mean, a lot of people believe that, you know, we should be talking more about the emotional side as much as we're talking about the nutrition side and the ABCs of diabetes. You, however, have lost 60 pounds uh, and have made some significant changes in your lifestyle. I'm wondering, did any um, did Luther's health health crisis inspire you to kind of want to take your diabetes maybe a little bit more seriously, or or improve your diabetes management? And he he does he does. Um, when I went to the doc when I went to the doctor, my doctor kind of uh, scorned me, and it went it went from sixty pounds to actually eighty pounds, and. He said, haven't you ever heard of fasting? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. You know, but my doctor, you know, he just keeps it real like that, right? So I did some immediate uh, intermediate fasting in the beginning, and um, and then I just narrowed it down to, like, vegetables. I just I ate things, but I just didn't eat, like, the carbs and all the sweet things uh, that, I, that I normally eat. And I knew that I, I knew that I was in trouble because my feet started tingling, and I was like, "Oh boy!" And so when my feet started tingling, I went immediately to the doctor, and you know he scorned me, and he said, "Your body is full of salt." On top of that, and I got on that scale. And we never want to get on the scale, and I and I got on the scale, and I'm like, "Oh no." It's not going down like this, you know. And I love the show, My My 600-pound life. You know, I, I, I do watch that show, and I do sympathize with all of the people, all the people's journeys that's on that show. And I said, oh, no, as much as, as, much as I love that show, I can't get to this. I can't get to that point. And I sympathize with every – I sympathize with every person here on earth that's dealing with weight because I know it's a sensitive issue, but I said, I know I can't allow myself to get there and I'll do whatever I got to, to not to get to that point. And that's what happened. Intermediate fasting along with, um, and I had to be careful with that too, being diabetic, you know, because I had to eat since I just couldn't go cold turkey. So I just replaced everything. You know, I just did clean eating and healthy eating, you know, so yeah, Luther, no, Luther's life. I tell you that. Yeah. You have this amazing ability to connect with people through Facebook. You're so empathetic, as you're saying, and and so um, warm and caring. And I, I, you know, the passion you have for music comes out on the fans of Unsung. So tell everyone before we end, uh, what? Tell us where the inspiration came for to start Fans of Unsung, and where to where you hope to have it grow. The inspiration came from looking at the show, going over to my sister's house, looking at the show, and it didn't happen right then. It happened later after I was once introduced to Facebook. 
and then it just came. And then the Mother of Black Music Month, who we've had on the show, because now we're doing virtual chats now. Deanna R. Williams gave me her blessing, gave me her love. And, you know, we and you do it too. We pour into others so that others can become. <clears throat> so all these people are telling you great things. So you just keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And I want to use the, the platform for so many things other than music as me and you were talking about with Luther and Joe Levert and all these entertainers who we've lost to diabetes and hypertension, we always talk about their music, but we never connect the health part, and that's where we are all connected. You know, so I, I still want to do that with you. But music is just a driving force. It's universal. It's a driving force for everything that I do. I love it. It, it means so much to me to have Luther on my 10-year podcast tonight. I was so looking forward to this interview. We're going to have to have you back, and we'll talk more about some of the hypertension with Barry White, Evo Bryson's heart attack, mm-hmm. of course, Joe Levert, whose birthday was just yesterday. So thank you for joining us, Luther, tonight. This was so great to be a part, have you be a part of our show, and I know I'm going to be a part of your show soon, so I, I can't wait mm-hmm. to return the favor. All right, so Luther, you're going to love this because there's a lot of divas in the universe, but one stands out to me, and Vanessa Williams said, save the best for last, so I'm doing that. I want to introduce everyone to Lisa Chester Weir. She helps on our mystery podcast. She does a lot. She helped with Clued In. She helped me with my Spotlight podcast going back to 2011 and 12, and I want to bring her on the show right now and just uh, thank her for changing my life. So hi, Lisa. How are you? (laughs) Changing your life, wow <laughs> Well, I well, would be I, re- that, I, really I know you're me. talking about the podcast our, our company suggested that you do the podcast But I really would like to give a shout out also to my business partner Gay Ball O'Brien Who, you know, is um, is the one really that had the idea for the podcast And um, it's been just great it's been just great. Now, I, I I personally love working on the mystery podcast. That's my that's my jam, Max. I know because you come up with all these great sound effects and and <laughs> help give Tanya all those wisecracking lines at me. So tell everyone like the the mystery podcast has evolved. So what, just tell us a little bit about your thoughts on this year's mystery, maybe. Well, um, this one um, really comes near and dear to me because it's based in Nantucket and I'm from Massachusetts and so I, I the the surroundings and everything that are described it's so real and um it, it what I really like about the podcast is that um it it's humorous the characters are just over the top and it's it's so much fun but it is a diabetes information, you know, powerhouse. I mean, we're able to, like, meld in these facts and little things about people and diabetes and situations, and it's all seamless, and it's it's brought together by the music. You know, the soundtrack just always goes together, not just for the mystery podcast, but for all of our podcasts. We always have an inspiration. We always have, um, you know, songs that coordinate with the show, and so the music is what ties everything together. 
I know. It's like Luther said, it unites everybody. I really love what he said. And, you know, yeah. I'm so glad you've seen the mystery podcast because we should tell everyone right now that if they fill out our listener survey of, for the podcast, that they can win the grand prize on that mystery survey is... A cameo appearance in this year's mystery podcast. That's, That's right. right. They'll right. be able to oh join us on this. They'll be able to join us on our adventures at Nantucket and be part of all the fun on September's mystery podcast. It's called Kill Me, Madam. I know. I know. There's a lot of people out there who are wondering uh, who won the Dario Glucose Monitor. <laughs> I know. I was just wondering. <laughs> yeah, Patricia, you're holding it right. You've got the. the the glucose monitor kit in your hand? I have it right here, Max. And, Mama Rosemary, I'm going to spin the wheel, and you're going to pick a number from one. We had 47 people want to want to win this prize, so you're going to pick a number from one to 47, and I am going to pull the name as soon as you do that. But before I do that, I just want to give you one more drum roll, because, hey, oh, no, you know what, Patricia said to do this.
and you 